you know, last Sunday I was at a conference in California. Well, it finished on Saturday afternoon. I worshiped there on Sunday morning, and it's a fairly good-sized church in Monterey, Shoreline Community Church. A very cool church, wonderful worship band, um, great spirit in that uh, very cool church. You know what? I love this church. <laughs> and as I heard our band play today and watched all of you in your hearts and spirits, I'm just uh, really filled with joy uh, as I look at you this morning and grateful for you, uh, for you all. And uh, again, my thanks to Diana. We um, have worked out a preaching schedule. Diana is preaching a little bit more and uh, kind of once a month. And so she'd, we'd scheduled her for the 29th of October and the 12th of November because I was going to be gone. Um, and so with my little absence two weeks ago, Diana preached for three weeks in a row, uh, albeit two weeks ago with my notes, but that's maybe even harder. But uh, anyway, thanks to her and thanks to all of you for understanding. So I haven't preached for a while. I'm kind of ready. I'm kind of gearing to go. So we'll be here for a while. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I heard some good stuff last weekend, but I'm not going to bring in a dump truck, I promise. But, uh, but seriously, just on this Sunday right before Thanksgiving, this is kind of the, we're, sort of, we're sort of headed into the holidays here. And uh, jumping off at Thanksgiving, I was thinking about the whole food thing, because this is sort of begins another season. It's a, a season of eating, actually. I don't know how many of you are, are Rex Hupke readers in the Tribune, and he has some pretty controversial things and some absolutely hilarious things. And I was reading, um, it was the day after Halloween when he, and actually this is one of the rare times I've posted in Facebook, I, this was so funny, I posted it. Some of you might have seen it. I'm just going to read a short part of this article. He begins this way. He says, I write bleary in a sugar haze. Day after Halloween, okay. Fingertips the color of candy M&M shells. Kit Kat chocolate streaked across my forearm. Nougat on my lips. I have become Halloween candy. I consume multitudes. My shame lies in piles of tiny raptors, wrappers. I may drown in them. They may entomb me. A deeper shame I buried in my pockets. More empty yellow, brown, and red wrappers. The ones I won't admit to wadded tight, pushed down over and over and over in the hope they'll disappear. And my sins along with them, they won't. They'll be there for weeks. They'll go through the wash and come out chunks of once shiny paper. Vile reminders of my slow descent into nutritional madness. And here's my favorite line. For this is where it starts. Each year, the, always the same. The season of eating begins with a fun-sized fall from grace. Isn't that great? It starts with the Halloween candy now, not just Thanksgiving. And we make excuses all the way through this week and on to the beginning of the year. We laugh because it's so true, isn't it? <laughs> a lot of it. The question, whether it's eating or whatever, is the question of being prepared. And therefore, as followers of Jesus, we want to be prepared too. Um, Jesus, we want to bring Jesus into the midst of who we are as those giving thanks this week and heading into the Advent season. We want to bring, have Jesus there in the midst, uh, before, behind us, above, below us, bringing a sense of priorities, bringing a sense of balance, bringing spiritual significance to what we do. This season of thanks and this season of giving find their genuine roots in Christ alone. Who he was, how he lived, and how he lives among us now. But even as we stand at sort of the beginning of a season, we here at Naper Cove are at somewhat of an ending these next two weeks because the church year ends in the next two weeks. Remember a year ago we started the church year, which starts with Advent. And so we sort of declared a year ago that we were going to follow the church calendar for this year. We called it a year for hope, and we have followed the lectionary, the set of readings that come to us each week, and followed the seasons of the year. Advent begins the new year. 
So today is the last Sunday of the season of Pentecost. Actually, it's next Sunday when we celebrate the last Sunday of the year as the reign of Christ or Christ the King Sunday, and that's what we will do next year. And then Advent begins on December 3rd. And so this also means it's our last message in this imitators series that we have been doing for these weeks of the fall. Actually, Diana probably doing as many of them as me, this last count. But anyway, um, and uh, we thought it best for this last sermon in the imitator series to sort of be a bridge into this coming season rather than a conclusion. With this themes of thanks and of giving, we seek to be imitators who are grateful and generous. So here's our, our point today, what I hope to drive towards, is that as we head into the season of thanks and of giving, we look again to Jesus to be our model and our guide, seeking to be imitators of him in a life marked by gratitude and generosity. We'll first sort of revisit this theme of imitators and the imitated as we look at the text this morning. We'll reinforce the impact of gratitude and generosity in in who God is and in who Christ is. And then finally look at some of our responses of gratitude and generosity. A good way to summarize the Apostle Paul's words in today's scripture reading from 2 Corinthians, he sounds real nice here, but he's actually being kind of, he's a little annoyed with the Corinthians, actually. You know, you, since you excel in all these other things, because you've told me you excel in those things, is kind of what Paul's saying, excel in this grace of giving. But in a sense, what he's really saying is, why can't you be more like the Macedonians? Okay? We learn in parenting we're not supposed to do that, right? But there are times we want to say, why can't you be like your older brother or younger sister, or whatever? My sermon, the last one I preached a few weeks ago, uh, on the 22nd, was from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we called that one the imitators and imitated. Do you remember that one? This is where the Thessalonians were being commended by Paul for imitating the Lord and imitating Paul and Timothy and Silas. And he says, and now you're being imitated by the Macedonians and the Achaeans, which were the provinces in Greece. He was saying to the Thessalonians, you have, you have, you have imitated us, and now those, your, your reputation is spreading, and, and, and other lives are now being changed. It led to change in the Macedonians and the Achaeans' lives. They became disciples who make disciples, and it's a worthy goal for them and a worthy goal for us. Well, now we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we read of the Macedonians again, you know, but their name popped in there again. They have grown in Christ, and now it's showing, as Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians, It's showing in their generosity. Paul says to the Corinthians, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, the ones who copied the Thessalonians. In fact, why can't you be more like the Thessalonians? He might have said that too, but he just said the Macedonians. God has given the Macedonian churches this grace in the midst of of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Paul goes on to speak of their deep faith, their life, give, life their, 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 their efforts to give even in the midst of poverty. They were, they were giving towards this offering for the believer, persecuted believer in Jerusalem. And then Paul reminds the Corinthians that they had started to participate in this offering, but they were lagging behind. And, and so in a sense, they, they weren't fulfilling their pledge, I guess, or whatever. But in a sense, he says, like a parent might say, why can't you be more like the Macedonians? The Macedonians who imitated the faith of the Thessalonians, and I'm encouraging you to imitate them. And actually what Paul says is, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. I'm not commanding you, but I'm testing the sincerity of your giving and your love by comparing it with the earnestness of the Macedonians. I really would like you to be more like them. This imitator theme starts to feel just a little bit pushy here, uh, but Paul knows what needs to happen in the hearts of the Corinthian believers. He knows that there needs to be a genuine Christ-like response of generosity, not one that's manipulated or coerced, 
And this Christ-like response to generosity is also hard to separate from gratitude, which we see echoed in the next chapter. In the same appeal, Paul goes on. If you've been around church for a while, you've heard sermons on giving from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. But we're looking at it from this perspective of imitators. I want you to be more like the Macedonians in their giving and also in their gratitude. There's a partnership here of gratitude and generosity. Over in chapter 9, Paul says this, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Paul is saying here that your generosity actually issues forth in thanksgiving to others. Generosity inspires gratitude just as gratitude inspires generosity. There's an amazing partnership of these two things. And it all then becomes a focus on God as a source of all things. God is a provider. A realization that all we have, especially as we give to those in need, uh, helps us, helps us more, focus more on gratitude than on the things that we do not have. When we're focusing only on the things that we do not have, it results in envy, and really nothing very good ever comes out of envy. But when we look to God as the provider who has given us all that we need and beyond, we, we kick it to that place of gratitude and of generosity. And the third virtue gets added to gratitude and generosity, the virtue of contentment, doesn't it? Contentment for the Corinthians. And Paul is saying to get to that place, look to the Macedonians. To us, it's a call to look to God, to look to models of generosity and gratitude around us. So I just want to reinforce this impact of, of gratitude and generosity. We're here basically essentially talking about godly character and, and virtues that we want to imitate. All through this series, we've talked about virtues that we want to imitate in other believers and in the person of Christ himself. We are wired that way. From the, very, from the very beginning of creation, we learn that our God is a generous God, that he's created us to be a generous people. He's created us and he generously gave us life and then he gave us all things to use, all things to eat, even fun size eats, all things to manage, all things to care for, and all of it was declared good. And all the way from creation to the generous gift of salvation in Christ, God has been the supreme example of radical, sacrificial giving for his followers. And we hear this generosity attributed to the Father over, over, and again in Scripture. All good things come from Him. All good gifts come from above. God, you are the one who knows how to give good gifts to your children over and over again. So we see this generous spirit. We also see this gratitude modeled throughout Scripture as well. The Psalms are full of praise and thanksgiving. Jesus himself offers thanks to God on multiple occasions, as do his followers, as we read about them in Acts and Epistles. I actually read an article this week that noted that gratitude is, is key to Christ-likeness. Gratitude is key to Christ-likeness because it is a parent virtue. In other words, it, it is a virtue that spawns other virtues. Gratitude is a virtue that, that helps produce other godly virtues within us. It has a transformational effect on character. It's just not just a nice thing we do the third week of November, but it does something in us. Just consider the way the grat that gratitude can lead to the other virtues, how gratitude leads to a deeper love, how gratitude can lead to a deeper and more fulfilling joy, how gratitude can actually bring a peace to our hearts and spirits, how gratitude can actually usher us into a deeper experience of the virtue of patience, 
kindness, goodness, and gentleness. Gratitude, the parent virtue. God created us to be thankful people. God created us to be generous people. You might even say we're wired for gratitude and generosity. In fact, I looked this week at some secular sources and found that neurobiologists, which is just kind of a fun word to say all by itself, but that neurobiologists have explored these two virtues and seen evidence of their effect on people. People, even apart from anything um, divine going on here, see the effects. Thousands of years ago, Cicero, the Roman orator, proclaimed that gratitude was the mother of all virtues. (laughs) That phrase, mother of all, it started with him apparently. But gratitude is the mother of all virtues. Seneca spoke of gratitude as being a fundamental motivational drive that was critical for building interpersonal relationships. Recent studies have shown that generosity and gratitude go hand in hand, both at a psychological and neurobiological level. Generosity and gratitude are separate sides of the same coin. They are symbiotic. Fortunately, each of us has the free will to kickstart the neurobiological back, um, feedback loop. Do you get that? We have the free will to kickstart that loop by being grateful people. It kickstarts the neurobiological feedback loop and, and into the upward spiral, spiral of well-being. This is a secular source that is triggered by small acts of generosity and gratitude each and every day of our lives. Further, psychologists have shown that gratitude can be beneficial in improving one's health and emotional, social, and psychological well-being. Gratitude is universally considered a basic foundation for a better, happier life. Some of its benefits include making one more optimistic, more spiritual, more resilient, relaxed, and friendly, less materialistic, self-centered, and envious, causing one to have more self-esteem, better sleep, happier memories, a better marriage, more friends, deeper relationships, more energy, and it'll help you win the lottery. It didn't say that, but I thought it was was such a happy little list of things. (laughs) This in a secular source from the American Psychological Association, saying that our neurons or whatever are hardwired, but we know who created the neurons. We know who made us this way. Living into Christ means living into how he made us to function. And these virtues of gratitude and generosity are wired right in there into how God made us. We're made that way by our creator. It's wonderful to know this, but to be an imitator means we move beyond knowing to acting, that kickstart that the secular article said. We can kickstart ourselves into that. And this then comes to this place of responding, our responses of gratitude and generosity. To be honest, gratitude and generosity come more easily to some people than others, right? We all know how we happen to be wired up. Now, we do know in Scripture that generosity is a spiritual gift that some have, but for, we're all called to it, though. But I think all of us can take some steps forward with just a little bit of intentionality in the ways that we approach life. Let's just talk about thanking, for example. Now, we know we're supposed to do it on Thursday, or at least all week, right? We, we count our blessings and we give thanks to God. But we know that gratitude is something that needs to be initiated every day. One of the little pieces of advice for building in our life is to simply keep track. Simply keep track of, of, of things we're thankful for. That may mean writing it down. Some of you are journalers. Some of you like run far away when the word journal is mentioned. How could you have that discipline? But it can actually come in simply at the reflection at the end of the day. If you close your day with prayer, that's a good way to do it. If you don't, start. <laughs> Look back on the day. What are the simple things to thank God for that day? Keeping track is a wonderful way to build this habit and get there of gratitude. 
And when you take time in personal worship with God, quiet time, devotions, whatever you call it, there's that little, uh, that little acrostic of ACTS, of adoration of God, confession of sin. The T is for thanksgiving. And the S is supplication or making our request to God. But making it a part of how we approach a day, even if you have a short time of prayer or it's a time when you're in the car and you're just, you want to get your heart oriented to just remember that thanksgiving is part of it. God says in the Psalms to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Enter into his presence with thanksgiving and praise. Another way of dealing with thanking is simply work on eliminating envy. Consider what you have uh, of what you really need. Do you really have your needs on the world scale? And for most of us, yes, we do. And here's another one for eliminating envy. Don't believe the marketing. They do not really care about your life. They want your money. And some of us are involved in marketing. We have to as part of the livelihood and making our economy go. But a way to eliminate envy is to say, do I really need this? Will it really fulfill me and make me feel better and safer? Eliminate envy. This is interesting. Another way, another way to develop the practice of gratitude, confession. Isn't that great? I read that one this week. Confession. It actually can help because we, we safely bring our sins and failures before God. And then when we do that, we are extended grace and mercy. <laughs> So it's a little bit of what Paul says in other places. Of we put off the old self and we put on the new self and we feel this sort of refreshment of God's grace. And so confession actually can, can bring a spirit of gratitude to God for his generosity of mercy. Here's another one. I know you'll be, this is really popular. This would be a good week to try it. Fasting. Um, maybe, maybe Wednesday, maybe Friday, right? <laughs> oh, except for the leftover thing. But anyway, but seriously... Uh, if you're able to, medically, fasting on an occasional basis is a wonderful way to get our focus on what God is doing. And uh, um, There's a lot of different reasons for fasting, of seeking God's will and all that, but simply just getting ourselves in a place of dependence on God rather than on food and all the other things that often are more related to impulse than they are to biological need. Another one, of course, is simply remembering the poor, the marginalized, those in need. I think even as we care for our Alden friends during this season, now uh, materially they have what they need, they're being provided for there, but there's a sense at this stage of life of they still need this dignity, that they are still living, that their life is still purposeful. And so as we think about them and as we spend time with them, it lifts us to a place of gratitude. So that's thinking, being intentional about our thinking, intentional about our, our giving, being thoughtful and generous. This is the season. Um, but thoughtful givers will carefully consider the needs of another and, and consider expressions of love and, and not just trying to find the right gift. And I think it's hard in the season of giving when we head into it to get past that obligation checklist approach to gifts. But to frame our gift buying and gift giving as an opportunity for generosity and expressions of gratitude to those in our life. In our charitable giving, of course, there's overwhelming opportunities this time of year. I mentioned that you're probably already hearing. If you've given any penny ever to any nonprofit, they've already asked you about Giving Tuesday. <laughs> you know Giving Tuesday, right? Black Friday. Small Business Saturday? Is that what Saturday? I don't know what Saturday is. But, and uh, Cyber Monday, when you order everything online that you didn't want to go to the stores for on Friday. But Tuesday is uh, an emphasis on giving. And so we're, we're just saying here, you have a lot of options. One of your options is to give uh, to the camp fund through our website. 
Our Christmas project with Alden is another opportunity for giving uh, and these stockings and the gifts that will go in them. Maybe you have the gift of, of being able to cut and sew and many of you are like running far away from that. But come that night and be part of the festivities or to go on Sunday afternoon the 3rd when we go and we sit with residents and patiently help them decorate these and get their names on them. There'll be opportunities to purchase the gifts that go in the stockings along the way too. But an opportunity not just to be involved in a project that makes us feel good, but to be involved in a project that affirms the dignity and the worth of these dear people at Alden. Year-end giving, obviously, is encouraged by a lot of nonprofits. Um, and to see that, if it's given to the general fund, it's not just to a budgeted need, but to be reminded of the bigger mission of the church. I think also in terms of nonprofit needs, you, I keep saying you get a lot of requests, and obviously we hope that you will um, care for your church during the season if you need to give some money away. But I think when we do hear from a lot of nonprofits, I just had this conversation with one of my brothers on the phone on Sunday who is incredibly generous uh, a person and yet a little overwhelmed by the requests that come to him and just talking about prayers of discernment on that. You know, you can have 10 good causes that you are affirmed of, that you have a connection with, that you think are awesome that God is using, but to bring those before God and say, God, lift up the one or two that resonates most with my heart in this season as I choose to give, give away. I encourage you to let discernment be there too and that we don't feel guilty by the ones we don't give to but feel affirmed in the ones that we do practical things we can be about intentional in our thanks practical things we can do to be intentional in our giving but when we talk about responding with generosity and gratitude my the deepest place of response the deepest place of resonance comes back to where we started to the person of christ and who we are in christ and following him into the season. Last Sunday, the reason I was not here was because I was at a conference from Thursday night through Saturday afternoon at Shoreline Community Church, an organic outreach conference where uh, it's a resource that we've begun to use here, a book that our executive board has read and a, the evangelism department of the covenant is using and talking about developing a culture of, and when they say outreach, it means evangelism, outreach evangelism. So it was wonderful to be immersed in that and uh, to be reminded of the truth of who Christ is. Christ is the We need to be reminded sometimes. We get so busy and we see so many options. So it's just refreshing to be in a place where we talk about a, a new approach to how we share and show uh, the love of Christ. So it was very, I stayed overnight Saturday night. There was no way to get home in time. And so uh, the board had agreed I could stay another Sunday and worship with them on Sunday morning. And a powerful message about the truth. You know, in our world, with relativism and everything else, truth is a, is a kind of how you define it thing. And if we're not convinced of the truth of Jesus Christ, uh, we'll be in trouble too. And it's going to get harder and harder for us as Christians to defend the truth, but we need to do that, the truth. Uh, not, in a, not in a mean-spirited way, but in a deeply convicted way of the person of Christ. So anyway, I, I worshipped at the early service, 8.30 in the morning, and I was driving, it was in Monterey, and I was driving, it's about two, two and a half hours up to San Francisco. I have a brother that lives in the city, a sister who lives up near Napa, whose home did not burn, uh, and she and her husband came down. We, I was going to spend the afternoon with my siblings, two of my four siblings. And um, the generous one was the one I talked to on the phone on the way up. Um, but on my way... <laughs> I don't know if you know the geography of that. I came up the highway, up Highway 1 near the coast, and uh, 
came through Santa Cruz and then cut Highway 17, which goes over the Santa Cruz Mountains. And at the Scotts Valley exit there in the Santa Cruz Mountains, you get off there, and one of our most wonderful covenant camps is up there, Mission Springs, a beautiful uh, camp facility um, up in the mountains. But I didn't stop there. I went past it. There's another camp up there called Mount Hermon. Some of you may be familiar. It's a, Mount Hermon is a big comp, Christian conference ground in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And um, all kinds of churches use it and groups use it. And uh, when I was in high school in Northern California in the, um, in the 60s, uh, I was part of Young Life. And Young Life would often use Mount Hermon for these big, huge Christian conferences with about 400 high school students from all over the area. I'd been going to Young Life for several months at that point. I'd been heard about this whole concept of a personal relationship with Christ. I'd grown up in a mainline church where I had a, genuine, a, a, a general faith, but not this relationship with Christ. And it was on a night in March of, of 1968 that I can remember a very convicting message about the love of God and the sacrifice of Christ. There's a little chapel at Mount Hermon, a little redwood chapel there. And um, rather than stain, it has stained glass at the bottom, but the upper part is clear glass that looks out at these incredible redwood trees. And at night, they're lit by floodlights. And it was in that chapel in March of 60, it'll be 50 years this March, <laughs> where I prayed to uh, open my heart to Christ and to begin a walk with him. And I stopped there on my way last Sunday afternoon, and uh, I went into the chapel. <laughs> and um, I, I bring this up, uh, I, I don't want any sentimentality here, but it was such a Jesus moment for me <laughs> of remembering that night and looking at the last 50 years and the faithfulness of Christ to me, some regrets over my lack of faithfulness at points along the way. And yet what I came to that day, last Sunday afternoon, was um, after having been at this conference and praying for this church and seeing the way God's at work here, it just came to Jesus. And the words I cried out, and I cried, but I cried out to him, were Jesus and you are my deepest longings. I don't know why I said those words, but those were the words I said, in you, Jesus, are my deepest longings. And that's what I want all of us to believe and to live into in the Thanksgiving season, in the Christmas season, but every day that Christ is where we live and who we are and who we are as we live in this world. That we would be all about Jesus. We would be all about him when we talk about gratitude. When we, when we talk about Jesus... When we talk about gratitude, we're talking about Jesus. When we talk about generosity, we're talking about through the filter of who Jesus is working with. When we manage and talk about money, we're looking at it through the perspective of who we are in Christ. When we express compassion to one another, we see it through the filter of who we are made in Christ. When we address issues of justice in the world, they aren't just social justice, they are biblical justice in terms of who Jesus is and what he calls us to do to change the ugly systems of this world through his power. When we enter Christmas, it's not just he's the reason for the season, but he becomes the heart of who we are, the heart of our compassion, our guide. He is our heart shaper. He is our anxiety reducer. He is our peace bringer. He is the response former. And he is the model and the one for us to imitate in all things. If our responses of generosity and gratitude are not rooted deeply in Christ, then we have some growing to do. And just again, in the words of that secular source, we have the free will to kickstart that movement. <laughs> we don't just sit there, well, some people are more spiritual than I am. Well, so what? 
you can make a move too. <laughs> we all can make that move. Just one step closer to deepening our walk with Christ and so that we look further in terms of who he wants us to be as we impact the world around us. As we've talked about imitators these, this fall, we've talked about looking to Christ, but we've also talked about looking at mentors and models around us. And so as we consider, if you seriously consider this theme of generosity and gratitude, think of the people around you go, man, they are so generous. Man, they seem to be a person filled with gratitude. Take a closer look at that person. Spend a little bit of time with that person. Ask them why they are that way. What about them might you be able to imitate? Or perhaps as I talked about some of these practices around Thanksgiving, what is one of those practices you might be able to weave into your daily routine that would more deeply nurture a spirit of gratitude and generosity? I don't think that Pastor Diana or Diane Anderson would mind me singling them out because I know that they journal. And I know that uh, for both of them, that marking God's gratitude has been significant in them in terms of nurturing that spirit. Is it okay that I mention you? Okay, good, because I just did. But anyway, I, admire, I, I look to you as models of that, the two of you, seriously. But then just this final word that we had in this season of thanking and giving. <sighs> Take some time to look at Jesus. And that's why we're providing this Advent guide. A donor has made it possible. We've purchased it from Christianity Today. Because a donor wants you to interact with Christ in these days, especially uh, that we would draw close to him and let him continue to shape who we are. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in you are our deepest longings met. And when we go down deep to that deepest place of desire, the people we really want to be, the people that reflect you and impact the world around us for you, Lord Jesus, I pray that I'm representing this group here, this beloved congregation, as I pray on their behalf that we would draw closer to you and that we would practice and model generosity, gratitude, contentment, and joy as we head into this season. We pray this in your name. Amen.